Today we start a new series called Love and Hate. We'll take a look at whether it's okay to hate people, what love really means, how we can show God's love not just with words but with action, and we'll even look at love and marriage. Does love and hate have a role to play in a marriage to keep it healthy and long-term or no? We'll do all this in just a couple of weeks. For today, we are going to deal with that first question, is it okay to hate people? You might think church people are all lovey-dovey, so of course we don't hate people. Or maybe you are a skeptic and think of the church as full of bigots. Maybe you think we hate Muslims or homosexuals. Is that part of the Christian faith? Let's dive in and see. We are going to hear our first scripture for today from Genesis chapter 25, the story of Jacob and Esau. Uh, uh, Rich, go ahead. (laughs) Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they called him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out, and his hand gripping Esau's heel. So she called him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the, bo- when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff. So for, for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell, sell me your birthright, Esau said. I am about to die. Of what, use, of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. And from Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. I have made his hill country a desolation and his heritage a desert for jackals. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build but I will tear down until they are called the wicked country, the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. And from Luke 14, 26, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in our prayer preparation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. 
Have you ever been really angry? I mean, so angry you can't control it. So angry you blow your lid and tell people exactly what you think. Maybe you throw your hands in the air and shout like I do. Or maybe your anger is more reserved than that. You're cold-blooded. You can just cross your arms, sit back, and say something totally lethal to someone. It feels good to speak your mind, doesn't it? I remember a few years ago I was in South Jersey for the Bishop's Convocation. It's a gathering of all the pastors in our area. It's something of a mixture between a spiritual retreat and a continuing education event. We worship, we learn, we pray, we grow together. But it's also true that many pastors have families Uh, It used to be a pain to have spouses and children with you at these things. There was no child care, or if there was, it was one teenager watching dozens of children. Uh, You just knew leaving your kid there meant certain disaster. And the hotel made you feel like your kids were sure to get hepatitis. Uh, It was anything but ideal. But then things started to change. They moved the event to a resort and spa, so it was beautiful and new. They got professional child care. They got great speakers. That's when I decided a few years ago I wouldn't go alone. I'd bring my whole family. And it was great. Uh, The kids loved the child care and the swimming. Emily and I got to sit together in worship, and later she went to the spa. Uh, The whole day was delightful. Then we had to go back to our hotel room, and that's when we ran into a bit of a problem. Apparently, you could put in a special request for a suite where you would get two rooms when you have kids, but we didn't know you could do that. Uh, We had one room for four people, and the kids went to bed at 7 p.m., which meant, well, we all went to bed at 7. Uh, You would think there's nothing wrong with that. A little extra sleep never hurt anyone, except that one of us never went to sleep. That one was me. Uh, My boys were very young at the time, and some of you recall that for a year straight, Davey woke up every hour of the night. I know some of you still can't quite fathom this, but six, seven, and eight wakings per night was standard for that little guy. Uh, We thought Halloran was a good sleeper because he only woke up four times a night. Uh, But between the two of them, That night at the resort and spa was awful. I'm a light sleeper to begin with, but I remember when it was past midnight and they had slept and woken up several times and I still hadn't even fallen asleep. I was going crazy. I got out of bed and I lost it. I yelled, I stomped my feet, I shook my fist in anger at the children and the whole world because I could not get to sleep. And it felt good to get that off my chest. It felt good to feel the rage course through my body. It felt good for all of five seconds. And then I realized that these tiny humans had no control over where they were or how well they slept. If I I should be mad at anyone, I should be mad at myself. It also dawned on me that next door to me on either side of the hotel were other pastors. Uh, My colleague surely heard me yelling in the middle of the night. Uh, I also didn't know at that time, but it turns out that I was right in the middle of undiagnosed sleep apnea. 
The problem wasn't so much my children waking up every hour or two. It was really about my body waking itself up because I couldn't breathe when I fell asleep. My anger was misplaced. It was directed at the wrong people and the wrong things. And that, I believe, is the very real danger with hate. Not that we have it, but that we direct it at the wrong things. A wise teacher of mine once told me that feelings in and of themselves are not wrong. They have their place as part of the range of human emotions that we all feel. The question is, what you do with those feelings. He said a good way to think about our feelings is the way you might think about friends coming over for a visit. You invite them in, you give them a seat and talk with them, you let them share what they have to tell you, and then you open the door for them so they can go. Your feelings telling you how you feel about a situation is good. Feeling angry is fine. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, one of my parents' most quoted verses from the Bible when I was a kid was this simple phrase from Ephesians 4.26. It says, Be ye angry and sin not. They like the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, but if you keep reading, that very same sentence goes on to say, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I think right there is a key to understanding hate's relationship to our faith. When we are angry and hold on to it, when we harbor it in our hearts, it grows into bitterness. And bitterness turns to hate. And as anyone who has ever watched Star Wars knows, hate leads to the dark side. But wait, we read a scripture today that said God loved Jacob and hated Esau, right? And Psalm 5.5 5 says, God hates all evildoers. And Psalm 11.5 says, God hates the lover of violence. Doesn't that seem to suggest that hating people might be okay? If God does something, doesn't that mean it's okay for us to do it? I mean, at the very least, if God hates someone, shouldn't we hate them too? This is where I think we can go off the rails if we aren't careful. To suggest that because God does something means we should do it just doesn't hold water. God is perfect. God knows a, a person's heart in a way we could never hope to know it. God sees the good and the bad. God even knows why we do what we do. A lot of times, I don't even know why I do what I do. So if someone wants to argue that God does in fact hate some people, Fine, you can have that argument. I think these scriptures are probably just setting up a metaphor for how immense God's love truly is. But what is immeasurably true is that we are not called to hate people, but to love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Just look at the story of Jacob and Esau, where one is hated and the other is loved by God. We heard how Jacob was the younger of the two brothers. Esau, as the oldest child, would get the birthright, which meant he would get a bunch of benefits. One was that he would be the leader of the family. He would be in charge of all the biggest, most important decisions for the family. He was also the judge of the family. So if there was some kind of problem, 
any of the descended family would have to bring it to him, and he would make the final decision. Finally, he got the inheritance. He was given a double portion, which meant he got twice as much of the land and animals as his younger brother. Now, when Esau comes back, probably from hunting, he is hungry. Jacob is making a stew, and Esau asks for some, and like a hateful, spiteful brother, Jacob says, I'll give it to you if you sell me the birthright. So he wants all these benefits, including twice as much land and animals as his brother, for one stinking bowl of soup. By the way, I did not plan on preaching about soup just to make you hungrier for the Super Bowl luncheon afterward. Uh, Some soups, however, that are served may be worth your inheritance. Anyways, uh, Esau, for some reason, agrees to Jacob's bargain, promises his birthright, and eats the bowl of soup. A little later in the story, Jacob tricks his father into blessing him, and it enrages Esau. Esau, at this point, hates his brother. He can't let these betrayals go. He lost wealth. Now he loses the blessing of his father. He won't let his anger go. He holds on to it. And that's when he says, I will kill my brother Jacob. He's bitter. And Esau has fallen to the dark side. Further along in the story, Jacob has run away so his brother doesn't kill him. Uh, Years later, Jacob is compelled to come back to his homeland. He is married with kids, but he is still this trickster forcing people into bad deals. So to avoid getting killed there, he has to return back home. So note this, both of these guys are bad dudes. Esau is bitter, ready to kill his brother, and Jacob is this shady huckster. Jacob comes home and is about to see his brother, but he doesn't know how he'll respond. He sends a bunch of gifts and presents ahead of him and leaves his wife and children behind. So if his brother tries to kill him, at least the rest of his family can run away and survive. Esau approaches Jacob with 400 men, and Jacob knows He is in the wrong, and Esau was ready to kill him. And here's what the scriptures say. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Esau has laid down his hatred and received his his enemy as his brother. It is one of the most beautiful parts in all of scripture. And I don't know about you, but I want to be like Esau. I want to give up my grudges. I want to lay aside any bitterness or hatred or anger. I want for those I've hurt or who have hurt me to embrace them as a brother and a sister. Scripture may say God hated Esau, But what Esau did to his brother is right and true and good. As far as I can tell, God's hatred of Esau, described in many other parts of Scripture, comes down to one particular sin of of Esau and his uh, um, um, descendants, and that's violence. 
And by the end, he has let go of his violent nature. That conversion Esau experiences is amazing, but that's not an easy thing to do, to go from hatred and bitterness to love and embracing. But I've learned one tool that can, I think, help get us there. Sometimes knowing who you are and knowing where you need to go can make a big difference. Let me share with you about conflict transformation. This chart shows five animals on it. Each one represents a style we use when it comes to conflict. Uh, So here on this top part, here it says goal-driven. So the more goal-driven you are, higher up on this chart you are. And to the right, it says values relationships. So the farther you are this way, the more you value relationships. So here you have the shark, right? The shark is very goal-driven, but it does not highly value relationships. So can anyone think of a shark in your life? Somebody who's going to get it done, and they'll destroy everything along the way, but they get the goal done, right? Uh, Opposite of that is the teddy bear over here, right? They love people, and they may never get anything done in life, but it doesn't matter because everybody loves them, right? The teddy bear, right? Um, in In the middle is the fox. They'll use lots of different kinds of styles when it comes to conflict. They'll do whatever it takes to get through something. But up here in the corner, goal-driven and valuing relationship is the wise old owl. All right, That's the one that we want to strive for. We want to be like the owl. Uh, I left for last the turtle here. They neither are goal-driven or value relationships. Uh, I am a turtle. So uh, I, I have a lot of sympathy for our other turtles out there today, all right? Uh, but what I'm learning is how to move towards being an owl. How do you both get things done and value relationships more? So the question for each of us is how do we grow in areas we may lack? If you are so goal-focused, we stop thinking about people. How do we begin to value people more? If we value people so much we never accomplish our goals, how do we value goals a little more? We all want to move closer toward the owl. I imagine a lot of people struggle to be more like the owl, but I think it's particularly hard for goal-driven people. And no one is more goal-driven than people that run their own businesses and run their own companies. Uh, Some of you have probably heard about Scout the Dog this week. He's going to be featured in a Super Bowl ad that we'll play later today. Uh, And I'd like to play a clip for you now of that advertisement. All right, here it is. Hi, I'm Scout, and I'm a lucky dog. And it's not just because I found this cool stick or that I was in the WeatherTech commercial on the big game last year. It's that I'm a cancer survivor, had a tumor on my heart, and only a 1% chance of survival. I'm alive thanks to a cutting-edge program at the University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine. Their research has the potential to save millions of pets' lives. Pets make a difference in your life. You can make a difference in theirs. Donate now at weathertech.com slash donate. All right, a nice, short, sweet ad. But uh, this commercial about helping to save animals uh, through the University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine is all the more amazing when you think about the context. The CEO of WeatherTech paid $6 million for that commercial. 
and he didn't ask you to buy his product. He didn't ask you to help him make more money. He wants you to give to this school of medicine to help people like him who have beloved pets that may not survive cancer. This school's research may one day save millions of pets, maybe one day even your pet. And how does that help you further your goals for you sharks out there? The answer is, it doesn't. Saving animals isn't the goal, but love is. Can you value relationships a little more? Could you grow to a place where you put six million dollars toward it. At the end of the commercial, they say, pets make a difference in your life. You can make a difference in theirs. And you know what makes an even bigger difference in our lives than pets? Our friends, our family, those who we have become estranged to. Can you let go of the bitterness? Can you let go of the hate? I'd like to end with a little scripture. It comes from Romans chapter 12. In many Bibles, it is entitled, Marks of a True Christian. And I'd like to read from my favorite version of the Bible, the message. So just close your eyes and let these words wash over you. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't try and be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Let it be so here and everywhere. Amen? Amen. Amen.